Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Kraus, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is Christian Pascal. Christian is a drummer, producer, engineer, and mixer originally from Atlanta, Georgia, now based in Nashville, Tennessee. With over 14 years of professional experience, Christian has shared the stage and studio with such artists as Marin Morris, Christian Bush, Kelsey Ballerini, Alicia Keys, Amos Lee and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, Chris Tomlin and David Crowder, among many others. Today, Christian tours full-time with Marin Morris as her drummer and musical director. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. Hey, everyone. We're doing a donation drive in the month of May here at Working Drummer Podcast. A donation on PayPal or Patreon will enter you to win some great stuff from our sponsors, including a crushed snare drum, a stick and accessory package from Vader, a set of drum heads of your choosing from Aquarian, a pair of in-ear monitors from Session Ace, the new book, Beyond the Beats, Rock and Roll's Greatest Drummers Speak by Jake Brown, or a Working Drummer Podcast t-shirt. Donating $10 or more on PayPal or $5 a month or more on Patreon will enter you to win one of these prizes. Winners will be chosen at random on June 1st. If you donate on Patreon, this promotion includes all of the existing incentives there. Visit WorkingDrummer.net and look for the PayPal and Patreon buttons along the right side of the homepage. Thanks to all the participating sponsors for providing these great prizes, and thank you in advance for helping to keep Working Drummer Podcast going strong. A lot of us are using in-ear monitors on a more regular basis than we could have anticipated even just a few years ago. Unless you have that big artist gig that provides all the free gear that you need to do your job, you are responsible for the cost of your own in-ears, and the price is often too high for great-sounding in-ears. Session Ace is a company that makes great sounding ears at a very reasonable price. Zach and I have been putting these in-ears to the test in real world settings for many months. I can honestly say these are the best sounding in-ears I've used. For only $199, you can own a set of ESAs or quad driver headphones. For the dual drivers or ESTs, it's only $99. The frequency response is better than any of the lower-level competitor products and is either equal to or better than other higher-end products. And lastly, the accessory package that comes with every order has everything you would possibly need from cable extensions, adapters, as well as a large assortment of ear tips to fit your ear. You can check all these out at sessionace.com slash working drummer and see some of the other products that they have to offer. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Christian Pascal. You're hosting us here in the studio, and it's beautiful. Is there a name of the Thanks. studio? Uh, not really. I've been Matt might have a name for it, but I've been calling it. Uh, well, me and the boys have been uh, over the past few weeks calling it Mars Music. You know, Matt Mar, okay, like okay. like the you know the uh, the store or whatever. But. That's that's the best we got. Different spelling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the most yeah. clever thing we've come up with. Yeah, he calls it. I think he might call it like Echo Base or something, which I think is a Star Wars reference. But I, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I like I like Echo Base. Yeah, um, lots of drums, lots of cool stuff. Man, I just I love it. it's 
it's it's got to be set up in such a way that you know you're going to be spending hours and hours there. Pretty much, yeah. And we've kind of got it all like, uh, you know, everything kind of stays set up more or less. Uh, I mean, you could obviously change it around if you wanted to, but, you know, there's a mic set up to cut some vocals there. There's a mic set up there to cut some acoustic guitars. There's mm-hmm. MIDI controller if you want to do that kind of thing. And then there's keyboard world keyboard world over there with the organ and the piano mm-hmm. if you want to play that stuff. That's all patched or obviously drums. And the mm-hmm. reason, half the reason there's a million drum mics is because... If you want to do something old school, I'll just swap that kit out. I'll put whatever up, the Rogers or Radio King or whatever. You know what I mean? And Right. And then I'll still record all the mics, but, you know, we might dump everything but the kick out and the mono overhead right. and right. instead of doing, like, the, like, giant. You know what I mean? I'll kick the compressors off on the room mics and it'll be more, you know what I mean? As opposed to removing the mics, it's yeah, not going to make a difference. they're already plugged in. Like, the thing's already there, use it. You know what I mean? Or you could, I don't know, man, you could jack it up and make a loop with one of the mono, with one of the room mics or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I kind of figure, like, in this day and age where, like, storage and track count isn't really much of a burden, like, record it, and then if you get rid of it, Get rid of right. it. It's no big deal. But right, right. Or don't record it. But it, but like the point is, I guess in here it's really quick to like we can be recording something really modern sounding right now, and then in ten minutes be doing something completely different. You know. I want to. That that makes me think of something. But I, I do want to take care of just a couple of quick things. Yeah. Thanks to Richard Scott for connecting yeah. us. That was really cool of mm-hmm. him. Um, and there was another thing, and it'll come to me later. But you make me think about something that's unique to Nashville, or maybe not unique to Nashville, but is uh, expediency in the way things are recorded and done. I remember what, yeah. what else. I remember the other bit of business. Shout out to 180 Drums. Yeah. They had you on uh, part one and part two. Mm-hmm. And um, shout out to those guys. A great interview. And um, I, I want to try and, and, and uh, avoid being redundant. Sure. Uh, with the, without, but of course, covering some of the, 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 uh, the obvious things um, for maybe somebody that doesn't have time to listen to, the, to those guys. But uh, there's a lot of great stuff covered on there. So we're going to try and go a couple different different directions. And one of them I wanted to hang some time on was uh, the studio and your studio experience, because I think that's something more and more drummers are are doing, doing yeah, or, or or finding themselves needing to do it when creating a, a really diverse quote unquote portfolio mm-hmm. of work, yeah. and the technology is allowed has leveled the playing field financially for people to do. Lots of stuff at home. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that. I worked with a guy a few months ago that's fresh out of full sale, loves gear, mm-hmm. knows all about it, but wasn't moving real fast. <laughs> yeah. Compared to what I was used to, and I kept thinking to myself, He's going to be in for a rude awakening. Yeah, when he gets in, in the real world. Nashville, and I don't know if that's typically a thing. All right. I, I, I mean, I kind of think it's somewhat of a thing everywhere, only because fundamentally, 
And I, I, I feel like I can say this because I, I, I've kind of been on both sides of the glass, so to speak. Yeah. But the, I think that fundamentally it's hard sometimes for engineer types to remember that the reason we're doing what we're doing is because, you know, we are more musicians, right? We're trying to be creative. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, like, if I'm in a, say I'm in a session, not, I don't even call it that, not even in a session. If me and friends are recording music, the reason we're there is to record music and to come up with something cool there. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the more engineering we get with it, the more, like, it pulls everyone's headspace into not a better or worse direction, but a different direction, that different direction not being the musical direction. And so I think that, to me... I think that's why it's really important for engineers to be quick, be creative, but be quick because we don't want to take our brains into mathematics land mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Into the science land that most musicians don't understand much right. of anyway. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, let's be honest. Like, it's the song and the vibe and the whole thing anyway. Like, you don't want something to be wildly wrong, but like sometimes when things are a little screwy, it's cool. I, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm not perfect or whatever I, I think that there's different producers that have a certain style th- totally that that are pulling that creativity and creating a certain amount of tension to pull those things out of the performers yeah 100 percent, totally um but yeah i think it's hugely important i'd love to yeah i mean i can talk about it now or whatever but the i think the recording thing is i think it's a big it's a big thing like for where we're at in this day and age and yeah you know even the gear thing like you know there's some good, nice gear in here and stuff like I, you know i'm not i'm not saying gear doesn't matter but i don't think it's the i don't think it's the focal point i don't think it's the most important thing you know mm-hmm. I, I i tell people all the time if when the day comes that i move out of this place we got tons of room in here so great you know right, but right. like that may not always be the case you know for whatever reason and let's say that I end up in a smaller space and I don't have room for all this yak. Dude, I I will probably end up with an Apollo, you know, which I used to have. I'll probably end up with an Apollo and just plugging some mics in that and using that stuff. See, a lot <laughs> of the stuff, I mean? like, I'm not really familiar with, with a lot of this stuff. So, uh, and when you were talking to the guys on 180 Drums, you guys were on the same wavelength. And yeah, he's you... like, yeah, Mark, he's like super into the tracks thing. So he's super hip to all that kind of right, stuff. Right, right. I've got enough to get some stuff done. Yeah. And uh, and I hear stories about guys that's like, I got a couple of 57s and um, I'm tracking some stuff for somebody yeah. in Japan this weekend. Yeah. And they're taking the raw tracks and they're doing whatever. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I think be good at whatever you're good at. You know, like, we got a big room here. Cool. Let's do the big room thing. Like, you know, but... If I didn't have this, like, and I had some 57s and an interface, then that'd be fine too. Like, make it work for you, whatever you got. That was going to be one of my questions was for somebody that's getting started, there's the gear, but there's also, I think one thing that we haven't discussed yet on this podcast is room Mm -hmm. and space. Yeah. And uh, some of the factors that go into picking a, a room in your house or wherever. Sure to set up and play. And I hear different schools of thought. I have a small walk-in closet with enough room to set maybe two drum sets, but enough room for me to set up and practice. And I've reinforced it to soundproof it to the point where I can make as much noise as I want and not disturb 
my family, let alone my neighbors. They don't even know that I play drums. Yeah. And so that's great for me. Yeah. But that was done before I thought I would be tracking. You know, this was nine years ago. And I wasn't even considering doing that. I was working in studios. And I'd ask engineers for advice about tracking at home. And they were always like, man, just come here. Yeah. Just bring, if you have a remote session, just come here. Just, I'll do it. Buy me a six pack. And and, and it just always pushed me away from getting my act together. Yeah, sure. And now I feel like I'm paying for it. But I have other rooms in the house, and I have a square room that's got more space. But is that a, you know? I don't know, man. I mean, I, it's everybody's situation is different, you know? And yeah. that's kind of why I say if I were in a smaller room, because, you know, who knows, man? It's like, I, I, I might move to Japan tomorrow. You know what I mean? And yeah. Not really, but I don't know. Shit, maybe. You like, said you wanted to move to Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On April twenty you know, third. Yeah. And, and when I do, like, I'm gonna have to figure something out. You know, get one of those cool houses where it's like one room and the bed folds down and the drum kit. But I don't know, man. I, I think that I just think you can make whatever you want work for you. If like, you know, do uh, plugins make that the room realities? Ah. What's your feeling yes on and that? no. Tech- I mean, I think that you can make a reasonably. I think you can make a an average sized room sound pretty big. I think it's hard to make a. I think it's hard to make a small room sound. I think it's hard to make a very small room sound big. But having said that, especially right now, I think that those sounds are really hip with a lot of. I think it's a. I think it's a, a bit of a. I don't want to call it a trend because people have been doing tight drum sounds for years and years. But like, right, it is popular right now. You know, like. Yeah. I, the record that comes to mind is like uh, is the new Casey Musgraves record, and Ian. Who I think did Ian do a, a podcast with you, Fitchick? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Ian, um, you know, I think played all the drums on that. He produced it, and you know, they're super tight sounding drums. Like honestly, per, that, I think the sound that he got on that record would be hard to get in here because there is so much space. It'd be hard to like, yeah, make it small. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's easy. So maybe that's a long way of saying I think it's easier to make a smaller room sound big than it is to make a big room sound small. Just with compression and like, uh-huh. you know, placing mics far. Like, so you can see the room mics set up in here are really only, I don't know, eight or eight feet in front of the drum kit. Right. Something like that. It's not like yeah. they're way over here in the corner. Right, right. Um, they could be, I guess, but nothing wrong with that either. So there's no right answer. There's just like think. different. I think there's just different. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about everything. I'm just that kind of guy. <laughs> There's no right or wrong. <laughs> One of the things that you talked about in, in the interview that you did with the 180 Drums guys is this kind of fresh and approachable sound Yeah, that you do. Uh, is there something that you're drawing inspiration from or people you're listening to currently or like kind of trying to dial into... Kind of. I mean, I, I like, um, it's hard for me. Uh, I I think I'm like this in a lot of areas of life where I kind of, I have a hard time choosing one thing Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like part of the reason probably that I love, I love the engineering side of things and I love playing. Um, but like, uh, so, so having said that, it's like, I really love like super dialed, kind of for lack of a better term kind of drum sounds real like polished and sheeny like i remember growing up like watching tv specials with you know 
whoever it would be. Uh, you know, I don't know. This is probably bad examples, but like the Eagles or Earth, Wind and Fire, or whoever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. And like, you know, those TV specials, like maybe not those bands, but like Kenny Aronoff or somebody would be playing. And it's just like this real super pro kind of like band. Like I love that stuff. And I love, I grew up loving that stuff. And then I grew up, and then obviously like, you know, Aaron Sterling's very, very uh, sort of popular in the, yeah. in the, uh, you know, drumming underworld these days. Yeah. And, and he's got such a thing, you know, and it's kind of this like, you know, I don't know, like thuddy mm-hmm. kind of vibe going the opposite to me of like the polished kind of thing. I think that stuff's rad too. Well, in it, there seems to be a trend that way. It's funny on, on the, on the drive back yesterday, the guitar player had some stuff that he was producing, co-producing with his wife and Aaron, he played three He's tracks that Aaron yeah. was on. And, um, and then one of the tracks was Matt Chamberlain. Yeah. And I knew exactly it was which, Matt. Which, which, yeah. Yeah. But for me, and I think this is what I'm trying to understand more of, it was the tone and the, the snare sound and the choice of cymbals, the volume of the crashes. Yeah. Yeah. Those kinds of things that are so different now than even six, seven years ago. Yeah. And recognizing those trends as far as creating something that people are going to want to call you for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's... Actually, I wish I could remember exactly what you're saying, but this morning I I woke up and I did the thing that you do where you get on Instagram, like, immediately. And, uh... And, uh... (laughs) And Derek Wells, guitar player mm-hmm. in town, very successful guitar player, he had posted a couple of these videos and he was talking about like being trendy versus like versus like doing what the right thing, what's called for. You yeah. know what I mean? You mean like all those songs where everyone was going, hey. hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The hey-ho bands. <laughs> yeah, hey, exactly. Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is that necessary? Yeah, I don't know. I, it was, I guess, uh, the, for struck while the iron is hot, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey ho bands! <laughs> hey ho bands! <laughs> there's there's two main ones that I can think of. I, uh, I guess there's three actually, but uh, yeah, I like the hey ho bands. They're cool. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't remember what I was talking about now. It was, like, so uh, the guitar player was. Oh yeah, like, he was saying like what's trendy versus what like you know versus like trying to do something fresh. I guess if I remember correctly, I hope I'm not butchering his thing here. Somebody's gonna go back on Instagram and look it up. But anyway, he, uh, yeah, he's talking about like bass players playing eighth notes. You know, it's like yeah, maybe that's not like the most cutting edge thing mm-hmm. in the world, but like it's what's right for the song mm-hmm. or whatever. So I don't know, man. I, I think there's a balance between, I think there's a balance between not getting too wrapped up in all that stuff. Yeah. You know, like, but at the same time, trying to be aware of it, like that's what keeps us from being dated. It's like, if you want to be, you know, if you want, not that you have to be like, you know, like all cutting edge. I just think that, I just think that, you know, if I'm going to play on a modern song, somebody comes in here with a demo or something that they're trying to sell or mm-hmm. or a record or whatever, mm-hmm. like, you know, I want it to sound right, but I also want it to sound appropriate. And so, I don't know, the trends, I, I kind of feel like it's something to be aware of, but not something to necessarily, like, mm-hmm. follow hook, lean, hook, line, and sinker, you right. know, I, I guess. 
No, I think it's important to be aware of it and be able to adjust when necessary. You're talking about pulling out different kits right. for different situations on your website, which is beautifully laid out. Oh, You've got, what, like three, I think, videos? Yeah, there's like three videos, different styles. I, I, I did that just because I was like, hey, look, I don't only do one thing, you know. You know no, a lot exactly. Of people probably think I do, but, you know, that that's okay. It's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, there's different stuff over there. You want it, like... Like we talked about, you want the 1940s thing or, or, or whatever, like there's the, the Radio King or you want this or, you know, it's all kind of, it's all kind of yeah. over there. Like that's yeah. the reason there's so many drums in here. Partly is because, partly it's because I have a problem. Partly because <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, because, because I can't commit to one thing. Like I want to do it all as best I can. Right. And, uh, and I'll never do it all quite, quite great. But, uh, but you know, I don't know. But I think a lot of people that we listen to have listened to all our lives or our heroes, and a lot of times they'll say things surprising like, yeah, I was at the session and they wanted me to do this, and um, I stopped him and I said, hey, I'm not your guy, but here's yeah. a number of the guy you need to call because sure. he's more appropriate for, for this thing. And when I hear things like that, it makes me go, yeah, do your thing. Yeah. And do it well, but don't try to be everything to yeah. everybody. You can't be. If it's not where you're feeling pulled. That being said, when I heard the tracks from Aaron and Matt, and I heard the tones, I, I, I it, it made, made me so happy. It wasn't like, hmm, this is the snare sound. I need to figure <laughs> that out. It was... I love that. I I'm 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 generally really happy with with where sounds are right now. So yeah, I'm speaking personally. Yeah, I feel that way. I have friends in town that are diehard '90s country music fans. Love '90s country, right? And the drum sounds. The drum sounds drive me nuts. <laughs> You're gonna say that, <laughs> like the wound up snare drums and like yeah. that like gated reverb kind of thing. That yeah. like nonlinear reverb. I that yeah, it's like. Uh, it's such a thing. It's hard for me to get past and listen to the the songwriting and the singing sure. and the stuff. So, sure. uh, I mean, again, it's it's. I've bought records because of the drum sounds, and I have not bought records because of the and drum 90s sounds. Nineties country records were one of were, were some of them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, am I missing something? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, although I did, it's like a guilty pleasure of mine, I guess. Oh, oh, it is. Okay, so no, you're not being sarcastic. Thing. You're like... No, I actually it. like it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like, I, yeah, probably. Hell, I don't know. Maybe it's going to come back. I hope not, for your sake. I hope the 90s country thing that drums oh, out well, so come back. Oh, well, the gigs that I do, I do a lot of... I, I've, I've played a lot of 90s oh, country. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, well, so yeah, maybe that's why I'm not, like, burned out on it, is because I haven't had to listen to a ton of it lately. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, man, it's a thing. It is. But, you know, uh, the cool thing about speaking of sounds that we're going for now is that they, they I do think that they're pretty, uh, pretty diverse in a lot of ways, maybe more diverse than ever. And maybe it's because pop music's been around, obviously, longer than it's ever been. You know, it's like this yes. really didn't. If yeah. you skip jazz, pop didn't start till I guess, the 1950s, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this whole thing that we're doing is like an infant you know, like, and, 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 and we, it, compared to the 90s, if it started in the 50s, compared to the 90s, that was 40 years worth of, worth of music. And now we're 20, 
some odd years past that. Mm-hmm. And so we've got that much more. We've got we've got another. I don't. I, I, I'm. I'm not so not so good at math, but like we got another 50 percent worth of like stuff to draw on than we had in the '90s. So mm-hmm. I, maybe that's why we've got. Maybe that's why I've got the leady and the like brand new drum and the mm-hmm. whatever from the 90s or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, it does. I I, th- I think I know what you're saying. I kind of feel the opposite though, because I feel like uh, you know, being a a, a jazz fan, it, it, a lot of people would argue that kind of jazz died in the '70s. Like it it ran its course. It had its yeah. peak in the '50s, late '40s to sure. to to mid '60s. That was like its peak. Mm-hmm. And is there an arc with rock and roll? That's a good question, actually. I and never thought have about we, that. Have we, now pop being a kind of a, almost a different thing, but ha, have we exhausted... Damn, that's a really good point. I've never thought about that. Because, I mean, there are trends in music throughout human history that, that you can point to that lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years, but I feel like with a style of music, especially in Western popular music, because that's what we're doing right. here. There's a structure that defines that style of music. And so there's only so many chords and only so many... You don't... You're not going to hear pop music using more than two of our many modes. Right. Or I've got a, a student that I'm working with, a 58-year-old guy who wants to learn drums, and we're just having a blast. And so we spend a lot of time just talking about music and the idea of music because I'm not teaching him to play in school band. Right. It's a different approach. Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time telling him that when you hear this song on the radio, it's probably going to be four beats per measure. Right. In four, four times. It's probably four, four. It's probably some combination of intro, verse, yes. pre-chorus, turn, pre-chorus, right. you know, verse, right. pre- whatever. So not to go too far on this tangent, but I feel like sounds is one way yeah. that we can shake things up. Yeah. And tone. And, you know, maybe I think that's happening too, actually. It's like, in some ways, like, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of really creative guys out there. And and, and I'll say this too. I, I don't know if this is like a, a rabbit trail or but something that's kind of interesting to me lately is that I've, and it's really in particular only for a, f- a few guys, but like, uh, uh, there's a couple guys that'll come in here and they like, I'll play drums, but it's not a, I've learned it's not like a drum, t- a, a typical drum session. In no, the this sense, is great. I, I want to hear more about this because this seems to be, a, I know where you're going with this. He, he, he wants stuff that doesn't sound like a drum kit in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, kind of got to get a little clever, you know. It may, maybe I will play a snare drum, but we're gonna layer it with this. We're gonna throw this junk on top of it, or mm-hmm. whatever. You know what I mean? Like people right. are trying to figure out how to do things that aren't the typical like kick drum, snare drum, hi hat, boom crack, boom crack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Thing. I don't know. That's pretty interesting. People kind of screwing with sounds and trying to make it new. Here's an eighth note thing that's happening in this register. But it's not going to be played by the hi-hat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, almost like... I mean, think, that's what pop music is, if you think about it. And that's what Ringo did. Or yeah, That's what totally. he was told to do. Yeah, very much. Exactly. You know? Yeah, great reference. Pull Absolutely. that hi-hat. Don't do the hi-hat. Right, don't play um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. John's going to play something over here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I heard a rumor that McCartney played on a lot of those Beatles records, played drums on them. I don't know if that's true, but... 
I'm not enough of a Beatles historian to say. But. We just talked about it today. Um, two songs that I know Paul played on was Birthday and Back in the USSR. Okay, nice. And that's on the documentary. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, but as far as the other things. Man, that was probably Ringo, I yeah, guess. And there's probably other songs that Paul played on, but I think in the later years, Paul became such a control freak. Yeah, he stuff. wanted to do it. Let me ask you uh, uh, about young producers coming in and having you play some semblance of drums. Because mm-hmm. here's another thing that I've I've heard is um, not playing a song all the way down, but playing grooves. Sure. Do you spend much time doing that? Some, yeah. Um, some. I, I'm kind of learning. I feel like everybody's different every, producer-wise. I mean, in general, but certainly producers. And one of the things... Is just their workflow. I I, uh, I worked with a guy a couple of days ago. Excuse me, very talented guy, and he uh, and uh, it, it was funny. I was talking about a common friend that we have, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, Nico's about to come in here and do a tune, uh, do a demo." And uh, I was like, "Looking forward to it." I was like, "I haven't met him, so I'm curious what our workflow is going to be." Yeah, can, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, of course. like you work with a new producer, and they want different things, like. They are, you know, they're really particular about some things and not so particular about other things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> whatever that is. And so anyway, it was fun working with him. It was great. And he did not do what you're talking about. But having said that, there are guys who will come in here and they're like, exactly what you just said. Maybe they'll come in and, this, and, and even though I don't love this, if it's an ideal situation, sometimes guys will come in and they'll have a song and maybe it's... They're like, well, the melody, the bridge melody, and the bridge is going to change completely. So just give me a few options on the bridge, and that's fine. I don't mind that. But like, we haven't finished the song yet. This isn't. Yeah, exactly. I don't feel like sometimes. Sometimes people are producers are. Uh, I, I guess they're writing. They're in like the the writing and the production. It's all sort of happening at the same gotcha. time. Gotcha. So yeah. it's not like I'm getting to play on a completed song. And so, uh, so in those situations, oftentimes what will happen is you end up trying some different things because obviously whatever the melody ends up being, I mean, in my opinion, you would really want to craft the entire instrumentation around the vocal in, in pop music. And so if you don't know what the vocal is, you don't know what to play. And if they don't know what the vocal is, they don't know what to tell you to play. So you give them a few options, then maybe it all kind of works together in the end, I guess. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that happens. Piecemealing things together or trying different grooves here and there and somebody cutting it up. Um, Can you point to a a certain genre of music where that's more commonplace? uh, Because it seems like there's genres where production really pushes... The, the songwriting and, yeah. and and I could be way off base because there's that great Ryan Adams record 1989 where mm-hmm. he redoes Taylor's right. record yeah and to me it like oh yeah there's the song yeah totally I mean in pop music you know in pop music a lot of times songs are written w- with the track in mind you know so there's a producer, he's maybe started a track, 
producer, writer, producer. This is, I don't feel like this is as common in Nashville, but yeah. Um, friends in LA, you know, this mm-hmm. is, this is their world. And, and so the writer producer, you know, is creating the track or it may be starting it. And then he's getting together. I got to write with so-and-so today. They come over and he might play him 10 things that he's kind of working on or mm-hmm. whatever, or maybe not, maybe they'll build it from, from scratch, but you're right. The track informs, the song and they kind of write it write them at the same time together and and to 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 your point a little bit it's like the 1989 i don't know how that record was made but uh you know but in pop music the production is as much an element of the song as as the lyric mm-hmm. is you know what i mean yeah but you're right it's like when he when Ryan Adams did it a lot of those are still great songs and i think for the majority i think for the most part you still got to have a great song. I mean, was Barbie World a great song? Ah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, the hit from the band Aqua uh, in the mid late nineties. I I'm guess just, I'm just nodding my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't see it, <laughs> but you know, it's like was Barbie World a great song? I don't know, but so maybe so maybe it's not true that it still has to be a great song it but i think by cool. and large Barbie, we're gonna look that up. That's yeah good. <laughs> i think it probably does still need to be a good song and i think the songs in 1989 yeah. were great songs yeah to me and i think that's why they worked in that that's yeah that's that's know? what i think as well yeah because sometimes again it, it's me my own like i can't get past certain sounds yeah that i'm just not but then in like, some production highlights that song, the song itself, the lyric, mm-hmm. much better than other production does. I, I think that, and and I and, and I would actually even say that not all. Um, having said that, I wouldn't say that all pop production uh, does a disservice to the song. I think in some ways it can support it better than maybe a, a stripped down thing. Yeah. Nobody knows, and I understand that it's personal and we don't talk about it, but nobody knows what anybody makes. You know what I mean? Like, like, unless you're kind of in it, I guess is my point. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. if you're a guy moving to Nashville and you're 20 years old and you want to be a a, a drummer for whatever, for, you name it, touring act or whatever, maybe that's your your goal. Mm -hmm. If that's your goal, you probably don't really know what that life entails and one of the big parts of that being financially. You don't know what that entails, which is strange if you think about it, because we all know about what a teacher makes, about what, mm-hmm. so, you know what I'm saying? Right, right And it's an, right. I don't know, I, I don't really know what I'm driving at, except that, like, I think that, I guess my, to, my, my main point is that, like, you know, I want to be candid because I feel like there's, uh, I don't know, man, I feel like anybody who's listening to this, uh, that they deserve an accurate view into this world, I would hate for anybody to sign up for something when they're yeah. young and and get down the road and and like feel like they got you know bamboozled. Maybe I watched. I look at too many memes. That's like a meme term. But uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I don't know if that makes any sense. But yes. Yeah, so to go back to the Marin thing with Crowder. Well, did you know what you were getting into? No, I didn't. But uh, what was your motivation? Well, kind of. I. Uh, it was a calculated risk. It was like, I, you know, the long and short of it is I, I had, I had been with Crowder, uh, for three, three years and some change, three and a half years. He's a, he's a, uh, Christian artist. He'd been around for a long time. 
and I would say in that genre was, uh, I think one of the quote unquote cooler artists, you know, or whatever. And like, he had been around long enough that in different facets, he had been in a, a, a something called the David Crowder band, excuse me, before that. I'm, I'm drinking LaCroix. I'm like burping over here. I hope uh, everybody's like sitting in their car disgusted by this whole thing. Um, There's something wrong with my player. Yeah, Just exactly. <laughs> I'm going to stop drinking that. The whiskey I can keep drinking, I think. Uh, yes. So um, uh, anyway, so yeah, he'd been around for a long time. He wasn't going anywhere, I guess is the point. And so he got this guy who's established, who's really great to, the, you know, he was a friend, like really great to the people he was working, working with him. And, uh, and uh he you know it's a solid solid gig right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he's still doing it it's not you know it's it's happening and and um you know so i've been with him for three and a half years or so and i don't you know actually i don't know if i've ever talked about this portion of the thing on any podcast i can't remember but so partly probably because i, I couldn't for a long time but and, and and I'll still kind of reserve some of the details. But anyway, sure. uh, about a year before I stepped away from David and into the Marin thing, I ha- I was doing a show with him, and a friend of mine called me from Australia and said, hey, our drummer is potentially leaving. He's auditioning for another gig. And if he gets that gig, then uh, we'd like for you to just step in. And I was like, great. Uh, and it was in the country world, and the guy was... You know, the artist, uh, especially at the time, was was pretty established. And, and it was like, he's still established. But anyway, I was like, uh, that sounds awesome. And I don't know, man, I got my wheels turning. Like, yeah. I was, I don't know, I was probably, I guess I'm 33 now. So it must have been 29, 28. I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know, I got my wheels turning. And I realized that, like, okay, there's still some things that just personally were important to me to sort of check off my list. And a lot of that was, you know, I wanted to do the TV shows and stuff. And I'm like, I, I, but also deeper than that, like I didn't see myself in Christian music. I felt like, um, and, and I don't know, I, I made this partly goes for any genre, but by and large, like musically in particular, it didn't, I don't know, it didn't resonate with me as much, you know, uh, I, I, I had a, I had a gig that did resonate with me. I liked playing for David, but, uh, but you know, like what else, where else am I going to go? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that genre, it, mm-hmm. to be honest, I hope this doesn't make me sound like an asshole, but I just like, where was I going to go? It was like, he's already kind of at the top of the game. Like I can make a lateral move mm-hmm. and go play with somebody else. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only guys that are bigger than him really, they had very established bands and yeah. like, it, you know, what am I going to do? So all of that combined with the fact that I wanted to do the TV stuff, whatever the, it put the bug in my ear that like, I wanted to do and that was a year. Something different. That was about a year before. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. And so, um, anyway, fast forward a little bit. Uh, the uh, opportunity comes up. My buddy was auditioning for guitar with Marin. And Matt Payne, the guy who, who put her band together, Matt, um, uh, uh, you know, my friend Nate said, hey, I'm going to do this audition. And uh, that Matt hooked me up with. I was like, great. So I... Uh, I was like, well, play me the, can I hear the music? And he's plays me music. I'm like, this sounds cool. <laughs> no, um, just, I need you to audition. Don't yeah. waste my time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I was like, this sounds pretty cool. I was like, I wonder, I was like, is it for like a tour or something? Because 
P.S. Like I had just moved to Nashville. I had spent a year and a half splitting time between Atlanta and L.A. And in L.A. versus Nashville, it's very common. Um, a lot of people know this. Like for for, for it's more common for um, artists to sort of cycle bands, you know, oh, okay. more quickly. Like mm-hmm. maybe per record cycle or per tour, they may have a band for this tour because mm-hmm. it's a it's a longer stretch, right? You know, we may that may be three, four, five, six weeks, two years, whatever. Yeah. And then after that tour's over, you know, a the artists band. will stop touring and then for a while and then there'll be a different band. Oh, you know? wow. I didn't know that. Uh, you know, more, that's a generalization. But Okay, sure. But having sort of come from that mentality, moved to Nashville, I hear this, I'm like, well, what's it for? Is it for like a, a tour or something? And he's like, yeah, I think, you know, I talked to Matt Payne and I'm like, what's, you know, what's this going on? He's like, yeah, I think there's a tour. It's such and such dates-ish. I look at the Crowder schedule. I'm like, ah, I could fit in. That sounds fun. So, like, yeah. I I uh, audition. I couldn't make it to the audition date uh, as I was kind of alluding to this earlier. I bought a GoPro in the airport wondering who buys GoPros in the airport, but that was me. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> They're one. tearing it down now because you made your purchase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, we got them. him. <laughs> uh, in the vending machine, I bought this thing. And then uh, I come back here. I like kind of said So you were, on, you were on tour with Crowder, and you, yes. you, you broke away, flew back to Nashville. Exactly. Yes. Picked up the GoPro. Yeah. Coming back through the airport. We had a day off, and I flew myself home on the yes. day off yeah, that's to do this. Awesome. Um, because I felt... Well, I couldn't make the audition date, so they asked me to do a video audition. I don't know if I mentioned that. And so I was kind of like, well, I was like, I don't know if I want to, number one, I don't know if I want to audition for something else, like on the road with David. Because I thought about just doing it, like, you know, maybe doing after sound check or something. A video there. Yeah. And it would just not. I don't know. I just felt icky about it. Mm-hmm. And technologically, it would have been a little more difficult. And I was just like, you know what? Screw this. So I'm going to I'm gonna fly home. You know, I had some points or whatever. And so I flew home, bought the GoPro in the airport. I had the tracks or whatever to play along with. And I came here into the studio and just set up a camera and did the thing. And I, like, you know, put together a little iMovie. I'm not a great video editor by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, they could see what's going on and hear it yeah, and sure, whatever. Sure. And so I got, the, I got the gig or whatever. You know, they called me. Okay, you got it. Awesome. I don't think too much of it at the time. Uh, I uh, go to, I come to Nashville, you know, we, I think we had all gone out to, I don't know what had happened. I had done something, Marin was there. Marin was there and a couple other people. And uh, I started getting introduced as Marin's drummer. And I was like, oh, like I basically started to put together that like, this was not like a six week tour that they were like putting together a band for, but like, this was like an artist that had just signed with Sony. And I mean, like, man, when I came on with her, like that whole, like within those handful of weeks, a lot really happened for her. She just put out her EP independently on Spotify, got a ton of traction. I think Sony signed her right in that time. Her Mm -hmm. manager moved here from LA. Like I came on, you know, it was like a whole bunch happened very, very quickly. And, uh, was my church on that? It EP? was on that EP. Yeah, okay. exactly. And it was the, it was honestly, in a way it was a big encouragement. That song was a big encouragement. The traction it got on Spotify for me to end up making the change because, uh, what it eventually came down to was I'm going to have to make a decision here because there's conflicts coming up yeah. with David and, yeah. 
I'm not going to try and ride two horses with one ass here. Like going back and forth is really hard in general with, with those two things because they were starting to, to stay equally busy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just, I don't know. Yeah. So I, uh, so I talked to David and I said, Hey, uh, you know, I've got some shows, you know, I've been playing some things with this girl, this country artist, and she's got some conflicts, some shows coming up that are going to conflict mm-hmm. with your schedule. And, uh, I was just kind of like, you know, this is just something that I really want to chase down. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know what that means for us. I, I don't, it's not like I want to quit. I just, but just telling you, there's a few conflicts. It's not a ton. How do you want to handle this? You know what right, I mean? Right. Like basically kind of putting the ball in his court. Like if you would like me to just step away, then that's okay. You know what I mean? But yeah, if yeah. you would, or if you're okay with me subbing out these shows, then maybe we could do this. Right, right, right. And so, um, but being candid. Yeah, exactly. And he had always been so good to me and always honestly championed me in a lot of different ways. So I, I felt really comfortable and he was a friend. Like, that's awesome. Having this talk. And so, uh, and he was like, well, let's get, so-and-so to cover this tour coming up and we'll talk again in April a few months later and see if you want to come back. I'm like, that is not what I expected you to say, but awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then I guess in a sense, the rest is history, but, um, another small tidbit, I feel like I've been telling the story for an hour, but another small tidbit that when I, uh, so after I had had that conversation with David, mm-hmm. we were going into rehearsals for this tour that was coming up. Right. And uh, it wasn't a big tour, but, you know, club tour. And it was her first tour. Uh, and she had just put together this, you know, little band. And, like, we're, you know, we're about to do it. And um, I get a call from uh, Marion's manager, Janet, uh, the morning of the first rehearsal. And she's like, hey, what's, what's up? I'm like, oh, you know, about to head down to down to rehearsal you know what's going on she's like well uh the tour's been canceled and i was like okay <laughs> so do i still come uh like so i still go to rehearsal and we talk about it and like and in the like in the back of my head i'm going oh shit like what have i done i just and and, and at this point you were you guys were being paid per show we're being paid we were being paid per show yeah. and like we honestly we were being paid about half as much as i had been making with david yeah so i was already like turning down about i want to say it was about 50 more than 50 shows 50 something shows for this big uh this big giant christian tour called winter jam that david was doing so i turned down all these shows in the first chunk of next year Mm -hmm. hopped on board with this new artist and now of the, I'm already kind of like at the time making half as much and like there's no, and now there's like no shows on the calendar. And I'm like, in the back of my head, I am thinking, oh shit. But to be perfectly honest with you, like, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't worried about it. Like, hmm. and a lot of that probably is because like, I mean, it's easy to say now, but it's the truth. And I think that, I think that what happened speaks speaks to that like dude i i just really believed in her i was like i think that i think she's fine you know and i Mm -hmm. even texted her that day i was just like look i was like you don't you don't need this like i would have been a great thing but i think you're fine 
You know what I mean? And I'm not going anywhere. So like, don't worry about it. Cause I know she's thinking like, I just hired this guy and yeah, now like, yeah, yeah. I can't keep him busy enough to pay his bills. Yeah. Luckily I had other ancillary income. So I was, man, it was fine. And like, mm-hmm. it really wasn't a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, but there was that fleeting moment where I was like, okay, have I made the right decision? And then like, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, we're good. And so, you know, things progressed very quickly right, for her. Right, and, yeah. and, um, I, you know, I, everybody says it, but like, I really do feel extremely fortunate to, to be a part of it and to have been a part of it from that point until now. And, uh, and it's really cool. Like, um, just to like, I don't know, kind of give her a little shout out. Like it was, it was, it's really cool the way that she, uh, just honors her people. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Did it feel weird going from a CCM artist to, to a, country a artist? pop artist, country, pop country, whose big hit single is My Church? <laughs> kind of. I mean, because the irony, and I mean, yes and no, it didn't feel weird to me. But the irony of the situation is that My Church is like, it. it it's really like the most non, like, really, it's like the most not Christian song. Yeah, right. Like, it's right. like, it's about music being your church you know what i mean like right. it's, it's yeah. like it's like i thought that's what it was i've had i've played the song many times before oh yeah and 80s mercedes there's one girl yeah. I, I, yeah. and I, I i love those songs yeah and and you know what I, I love about my church is you could just bust into it and it's got something about it the track that's yeah. a lot of fun to play i love it i mean it's yeah. basically the same beat in entire song which yeah. is fine i got no gripes with that man i love no just, but the hi-hat thing has to happen and the kick drum has to be just the right there kind is of some swing. nuance there you're some, right i'm so glad you mentioned that like yeah. the kick drum swing because dude i will nerd out over yeah i'll nerd out over nuance it's it's, it's like a than, it's like a bassy swing it's really tight thing just because it it's is. such a popular song that those of us that do gigs with people where we're covering lots of popular songs, we're covering music, you're going to hear it, songs being butchered oh, yeah, all over the that. map. And it's and it's like, so what? It's a cover gig, whatever. Yeah. But sometimes there's beauty in trying to recreate something that deserves to be... Totally. Especially a track Dude. like that. So I'm I'm just I'm nerding out a little bit. On I think that. it's what separates the men from the boys in terms of it basic for the most part, if you're not playing if you're not doing a recording session for a record, it's gonna be a master. What we do every we're all in cover bands. I'm in a Marin Moore's cover band. Yeah. You know what I, know what I what mean? You're saying. Like yeah. in a sense Well, like, I, and I'm not making any apologies about no. about about that, but you're right, and mm-hmm. I, I tell people that all the time. Yeah. I mean and, and that's not being that's not being like 
I'm not trying to be like self-deprecating about it. I, I think it's awesome. I just think that my point is I'm playing something that somebody else played on a record. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In particular on this record, most of it, Aaron Sterling and then uh, Fred Eltringham, who we talked about earlier. Uh, and uh, I think that's it. Not exactly sure. A couple of slouches, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez. So, man, might, they you, had a couple you, of newcomers on the scene. Yeah. So, man, how did you make it sound so good after the crap that they put on? <laughs> I just worked. I felt like I understood what they were going for. And so... <laughs> what they were trying to go for. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like paying attention to those nuances. It's like, I, it's like why did Aaron put that particular swing on the on the kick drum? It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way he... Maybe it's just what came out, you know what I mean? But like, but paying attention to nuance when you're playing the song, yeah, that's what that's what makes, you know, I called it a Mirror Morse cover band, but like, but that is those nuances are what make hopefully the way that we play the song yeah. and her vocal, of course, yeah. yeah. But like the way we play the song, hopefully better than the way whoever might, play, you know what I mean? So in in getting back to groove and stuff like that, one of the words that some friends of yours have used to describe your playing is that swagger. Oh, nice. And and I, I, I know what they mean. I love that. And I, I want to find out kind of where that came from. Yeah. And if you could kind of say, well, this is... If you could... Do you know where that came, came, came uh, from? Not really. I, I, but I will say this. I mean, and I would love to just be like, you know, everybody just wants to be like, oh, just come so naturally or whatever. Like, like, I, and I would love to say like, I don't know what you're talking about or whatever, but like, but like, <laughs> I, I feel like one of the things I strive to do is, and it's that exact word. I, and I use it to describe other drummers, honestly, like, yeah. um, it, it, like to me, to me, we were talking about Seth Roush. To me, Seth plays with some swagger, some like yes. stank. It's yes. just got some feel to it that like right. feels way more interesting to me than yeah. whatever the opposite is. And yeah. so I think, I don't know where it came from in particular, except that maybe it's just something that for whatever reason, I just value yeah. about drummers is yeah. their feel. Yeah, And I, I just think it's something that I continually strive for in some form or fashion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i love it because it's like this little like unattainable little treasure hunt because like what is swagger it's like it's hard to say right like but it's, you know it when you hear it no 100 percent. it's yeah. like it's their it's their swing for lack of a better term like uh-huh. i think you know like and every drummer's got it and we all do it a little differently and you know i've kind of got i guess my thing i can't really do anything other than my thing you know mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. Richard or Seth or, um, you know, whoever, like, uh, Tracy Broussard, like everybody kind of has their deal and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it's true. It's, uh, and just going back just cause it just a couple hours ago I was meeting with my student and, and today was our day to just sit and listen because he's still trying to find the feel like when he puts the radio on, I want him to understand so going back to the basics, folks, here, but here's a guy that used to play pro football that is trying something new in his life. That's really cool. So we're talking about two and four. Yeah. We're talking about pocket. We're talking about some, without getting too crazy, but we're moving to this area now. 
I could not help, but I put on the song Swingin' off Tom Petty's record, Echo, with Steve Ferroni cool playing, record. I love, one of my favorite yeah. uh, Petty records. Yeah. Steve Ferroni playing eighth notes, one and three on the kick, two and four on the snare. I said, there's something about what he does. I said, let me explain to you what's going on here. Let me explain how simple that, that we've covered this before. You and I have talked about this. But the way he's doing it is like nobody else. Yeah. What is that? And Tom said, you're our guy when they were going through drummers and finding a, a new drummer. The way Steve plays one and three on the kick and two and four on the snare with eighth notes is just so insanely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I might have gone a little bit beyond where his headspace was at. But then we went into a CCR song, and I'm like, again, I'm sorry, but I can't help it. But it's here, too, <laughs> Yeah. that there's just the way that hi-hat... And the very different. They're very CCR. different. But, I mean, like, the the volume of the hi-hat is making this feel yeah. a certain way. And it's not... It's not straight, but and it's not swung. It's not a shuffle, but there's something that's really deep down inside. And what I said was, this is what makes the difference. This is the difference between a good drummer and a great drummer. Yeah, as you hear that, you can't write it on paper. You can't. A machine can't do it. Right. It has to. And I would say the truly great guys are able to manipulate that a little bit. You know what I mean? Like play, play. Uh, swing in and then play whatever CCR song and hopefully make it feel both ways. You know what I mean? Well, and, and sometimes there's variables that force you to play a certain way. Say you're playing the same song, the same tempo, this with the same click track or whatever, but there's a bass player Oh man, new on the gig. Yeah. Dude, bass players... Bass players, I think bass players make drummers. Mm, what way? Uh, in the sense that, well, in the sense that a bass player can make, a, a bass player can make me feel in or out of the pocket, I think, in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, based mm -hmm. on where they're placing. You know, I, I think, to me, uh, bass feels best, to me, when it's, when it's happening slightly probably behind the kick drum, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too scientific about that. But like, I, I just think that when a, a drummer and a bass player's pocket is landing in the same place, mm -hmm. that feels awesome. Mm -hmm. You take the drummer playing the exact same, in the exact same place, take a different bass player or, or move the bass part, you know, a little ahead or a little behind. And I think it makes the groove feel different. Yeah. Totally. So there are, for me, are bass players that I love playing with mm -hmm. that place i don't know have a certain feel to them that just seems to work with mm -hmm. the way i i play i guess um and who's the player for marin uh annie clements annie's great um she's she's a pro she's been around for a long time um she did sugarland for nine oh, years right. or something yeah I and I uh, so she started with them when she was really young i think and uh and then she did amos lee for three or four years which is also very like groovy yeah, I love Amos. And did you play with him too? Yeah, I just did a, a one-off with him that that Annie actually hooked up. It was funny. I was sitting right here, and uh, my phone rang, or a text, or whatever, and she was like, "Hey, do you know anybody in Atlanta that could do a uh, 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 Amos Lee show with the symphony and whatever on Friday or whatever?" 
And I was like, I was, and I was already planning on going to Atlanta. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I was like, I'm driving down anyway. Like, I'd love to do it if you think yeah. I'd be a good fit for it. And so, um, and so I did. That was really cool. Uh, you know, and I, I was already familiar with some of his music. Cause yeah, I, was, I love his I was stuff. into, especially the first record. Me, yes, I was going to say. <laughs> I hate to be that guy that admits that. Like, that you're like, not that I wasn't into the other stuff but at all. But, you know, some some I albums, wore that first record out, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. Keep it loose, keep it tight. Yeah. All that. There's Because there's an almost like an innocence in the production where you're really hearing... Everything else is insulary. You're hearing the song first mm-hmm. and his voice, and then yeah, there's some voice. other stuff that's supporting it. It was cool, man. Yeah. And it because it was in Atlanta, and it was with the symphony, and it was like, home. Um, I don't know. Like, it felt cool. And also for me, this is kind of strange, but it was like kind of like a mildly like sort of healing experience because I, you know, I went to Georgia State. Uh, I didn't finish, but for a couple of years. And I was at the music program there and like great program, but just not for me. And, and, uh, mainly in the sense that the percussion program there, at least at the time was very centered around like contemporary music, like meaning, uh, like John Cage and like these very like esoteric mm-hmm. sort of like mm-hmm. things. And, 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 and I just wasn't, that just wasn't my bag. And so it was just very, uh, it was academia, you know what I mean? Like, of course, it was there's, that legit, kind of there's a legit material. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, but it wasn't for me. And so I walked away sort of feeling at the time, probably major, mostly because of my own immaturity, but like I, I walked away from that feeling like everybody just scoffed at like everything I did and like I didn't fit in here yeah, and academia hates me and whatever. No, so in a way, like, I think I walked around for a long time with kind of a chip on my shoulder about the whole thing. So I was just kind of like, yeah, screw you guys. Like, I'm making a living playing, you know, music. And I don't know, like, turning around years later with some perspective and seeing some of the guys that I went to school with that I knew and, like, saying hey to them and doing the symphony gig. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. just like, Mm -hmm. it felt like, I don't know how to describe it. It just felt full circle and it felt good but not in a middle finger kind of way it was just kind of like oh like yeah i don't know how to put yeah. that but it just no was. i understand i mean it's it's tough and i mean like a lot of most of us when we go to school and you know we're still kind of teenagers yeah and um we think we know everything yeah and then you spend some time in the real world and i mean i hate to use that in my <laughs> Stepfather always used to give me shit about, well, when you get in the real world and I just wanted to <laughs> throttle him. Um, so I, I don't impose that same thing uh, to young people because they are in the r- real world. They're having to deal with it yeah. on a daily basis. But I think that academia has its place it in the development of our understanding of music and our swagger. Totally, man. Yeah. John Cage swung his butt off. No, um, <laughs> so you, you knew you, you, it, those are the, everybody's path is different. Yeah. For me, school was very important to me in the development of. Right. My, now I don't. You don't need a degree to do it to do what we do. But at the same time, it was it was important for me uh, on so many different levels. And and there's a lot about me that I wish I have friends that finished that I'm kind of like, damn it. Like I know that they learned. 
this portion of their skill set because they weren't a schmuck and, and stayed in school. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I don't have that. Yeah. So I kind of wish that it's, it, you know. But I came across that place. as well, where I, you know, it's my school was, was really jazz heavy, mm-hmm. and jazz nerds were like, "Man, this is you know, you're gonna play in your rock band this weekend." I'm like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, it's like," and 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 so the guys that I was working with that didn't go to school, you know, it, it's it's like they're they're doing killer things. Yeah, they're writing really great music. Totally. And and these so it, they found their path. And you found yours, like, I, I'm yeah. finding mine, I'm, you know what, I play rim shots on every two and four, well, most of them, that Marin does, and, and it's yeah. like, they, I, that, in school, that would have been like, like you're saying, you're gonna play your rock band, like, you're gonna do this thing, <laughs> you know, but like, the cool part about it in hindsight is like, you know what, I make a, I make a cool living, like, doing this cool thing that, that somebody who wouldn't do that is not going to get hired to do. Now, inversely, I'm not doing... I'm not doing what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, you, you really got to find your. You, you got to find, find your path. What drew you to drums in the first place? I, I was. Uh, if you say pots and pans, I will smack you. Oh no, I'm not gonna say <laughs> pots and pans. That never really happened. I think I tried it one time, and it, I was like, this sounds stupid. Uh, Let's cook uh, some chicken. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> not what these are for. Uh, no, I, uh, you know, when I was little, little bitty, you know, I had some kind of toy drum set kind of thing. I mean, literally a toy. But I would play it, and, and it, you know, it's funny in hindsight, when you're, I was five or whatever, like, and a lot of people, I think I'm not alone in this, but it was interesting how I tend to, to I, I kind of figured out where what a backbeat was. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I kind of figured out phrasing, which if you think about it, it's kind of interesting. Like when you're a kid, like f- nobody's telling you this, but you kind of figure out, oh, every fourth bar or whatever, I'm gonna hit the cymbal. Like right, you right, know what right, I mean. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I kind of had that toy drum kit and did that thing. So I was intrigued by the drums. Well, then I was also intrigued by piano. Um, so my mom got me piano lessons. A terrible piano player, but I did take piano lessons. And uh, one of the funny things about piano lessons was that I never wanted to. I had this really, uh, really great. Well, I, I at least she was a sweet teacher. I don't know if she was great or not for this reason, but she would let me kind of play whatever I wanted to play. So like we'd pick popular songs or whatever. It didn't necessarily. It wasn't all classical, I guess. Is yeah, my yeah, point. yeah. And so, but the downside of that was. I started to try and play by ear, and so I wasn't reading very well, and she obviously knew that because I'd come back in there and I wouldn't be playing what was on the page. I would be figuring it out. Ups and downs to both, I guess. But anyways, took piano lessons, and then when I was about 10, I think my teacher had moved out of state, and I my teacher moved out of state, and I was going to find a new teacher, but I really liked her. I didn't want to find a new teacher, and I wanted a drum kit. So my mom bought me, like, mm-hmm. for my birthday, my 10th birthday, like a Sears catalog drum kit, mm-hmm. you know. And It's that one right there. It's there. that one over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought, I, you know what's funny is I kind of wish I still had it because, it, you know, it's just some shitty drum kit. But I'd, I'd probably play it, you know what I mean? Put some, you know, nowadays, I don't know. I got crappier drums. Give the track to the client. What do you, what do you, what do you think of it? Do oh, you, I you like it? Oh, man. I mean, oh, I love it. It's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know what I play? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A Sears. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Dude, I mean, not to get cocky, but I'm pretty sure if I put some heads on there, had another snare drum and some good cymbals, I'm positive that we could make that thing. Oh, I know. Yeah, of course. We all do it. Uh, I digress. But the, yeah, the, uh, the, um, yeah, so did that. And then in school, you know, like the school band and that sort of thing. Um, did you have any private teachers? Not really. I didn't. The only private teachers that I ever had were when I was in high school. I was really into the marching band thing. And a guy uh, moved to town that was, um, it, uh, he was a drumline instructor. But it just so happened that this guy uh, had, I don't know how familiar you are with the drum corps world, but, mm-hmm. you know, he was like, he had been teaching in it for 20 something years, still was actively teaching in it for the cadets and for spirit and, uh, taught, you know, blue devils and cavaliers and all these great drum corps, uh, lines. And so he happened to move to our town, Swanee, Georgia. I got in touch with him over email. He ends up coming and teaching at our high school. So I took, um, I took private lessons with him, but that was all, uh, like, uh, rudimental type stuff, okay. you know, for lack of a better term, drum corps stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and I did that for, with, I did the marching band with him and then I did one year with a senior corps, a DCA corps. Uh, like the old guys? Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> old and young actually. Yes. The yeah. old guys. But it was because, uh, I, at the time was 20 and I was traveling with the band and the DCA schedule is just weekends basically versus like a summer tour. Okay. And so I was able to like do okay. both. Okay, you kept it. Okay. Exactly. I was mm-hmm. able to, I didn't want to stop playing in my band, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I just did this thing that was okay. like more schedule uh, friendly or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so I didn't really have any private lessons other than that thing. And I took a couple of, I took a couple of jazz lessons when I was in Atlanta that I really intended to keep up. And unfortunately, like I never felt like I had the time to, I never felt like I had the time to practice, uh, enough to like make it worthwhile, Hmm. you know, jumping way, way ahead. Speaking of practice though, when you have time off. Yeah. Are you able to do anything? I like to. Um, I like what, to. What do you do? Uh, either it's it's kind of taken a, a million different. Uh, it's kind of gone a million different directions. Like um, for a while, I like kind of relatively recently last year, I I, I kind of get these goals in my head. Mm-hmm. Like that I want to do, and then I'll try and practice those. So like, I realize that every time I picked up a pair of sticks because of the drum corps thing, if I was just tapping around, I inevitably would pick them up traditional grip, mm-hmm. and and that was what would happen. And then I was like, this is stupid because literally the only time I ever play traditional grip is if I'm doing maybe some brushy stuff, which I can I'm just a hack at anyway, or if um, I never play drum drum set with the traditional grip so i'm only just tapping around i'm like this is stupid i should develop my left hand dexterity in match grip the same way that i have it in traditional grip Mm -hmm. and so i spent some time doing that feel like i got pretty pretty damn close if not better maybe uh so that or like right now something that i am trying to spend some time on as silly as this sounds is uh is i really want to like 
I really want to like get some more skills in like kind of the gospel chops kind of department. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I like, I, it is cool. It's not because I like want to go have like shed sessions with my buddies. It's because mm -hmm. I feel like in my line of work and, you know, maybe even down the road with, with Marin, like that could be something that this gig calls more for, or even if not her, I think it just opens you up for more. Well, that comes two things. There is a point place in the show where you yeah. get to do a little bit of that, do a little bit of that. And, and, and I've mentioned this in recent months with recent episodes that it, it, I'm being called upon to do more soloing than I've have in years. Really? And I thought drum solos, like we haven't done that since the eighties. Totally. And, and I can't, I, I would be a terrible soloist. Well, I, 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 I am, <laughs> but I'm finding it's, but when you see people do it, it the, the short of it is you are there to entertain. Sure. And so it, off the cuff or wherever, and somebody says, go, right. you're like, I want to be able to do something because not take this long solo, but, but, but if it's an eight bar break, if it's four bars, whatever, be able to do something that's tasteful, doing something and like yeah. have, because I think for years it was always like, it's about groove and pocket mm -hmm. and making sure these drum fills go in and out and smooth and all this stuff and good time and good feel. And it's like, yeah, I'm not soloing anymore. I'm not playing jazz anymore. I'm not doing that. And like, and then you go see a drummer that does that, like, oh, that's beautiful. That's his thing. That's cool. But it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you need to be ready to kind of do anything. You yeah. don't have to be... Yeah, whoever. Yeah, with the double bass, crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy. But you you can't choke either. Yeah. Well, something I... I and I am having said that I am terrible at solos, and I hope I never ever have to do one until I'm good at it. If I ever am. Uh, but, like, one thing, it's funny, like, I used to, I used to like, kind of hate on drum solos. But the interesting thing, I've actually seen, I've learned, and maybe the whole world has been hip to this, and I just now learned it. <laughs> but, like, you know, I've learned that there's actually a lot of value in learning how to solo, even if you never do it. And I think that value is mm. that you break down, you, you're able to break down whatever wall it is that is between your creativity and your hands. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. we're used to being calculated. We're figuring out what we're going to play and then yes. we're going to play it. Yes. Like if we can break that wall down and mm -hmm. be able to just flow, like in time with yes. a groove, doing cool shit, like that's, and that's something that I have a hard time with. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, but don't you think that you do that in the studio all the time? Yeah, I do. But it's not as like, I don't know if it's, yes, I do. And it's, it's within but, parameters yeah. and grooves yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it is something that I've like tried to, even in the studio, like I used to be super calculated, like I'm going to play this kick pattern on the course and this and this. Still sometimes that's the case. But like, but a lot of times now I'm actually trying to, yeah, it's be a little, more through composed. Yeah, exactly. To use your twentieth yeah. century. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with because I I hear that a lot on modern more modern tracks. It's like, oh, here's the kick. Pad. Oh, he just changed, oh, he changed it. it. He just changed. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, and, and and I think that's a really important point. And to give people a little bit of um, foresight into a, another episode coming up is I'm going to be talking to Billy Ward, and Billy talks mm -hmm. about. 
being able to just improvise and having escape routes. Yeah. Because I'm always just trying to keep things from falling apart. How am I going to get out of this? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He goes, and that's how I solo. And he, and so I want to spend some cool. time digging into and, and, and try not, I'm going to try really hard to not make it about me. Here's, hey, Billy, hear. here's what I'm working on. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? But that's a real, I love that idea. That's like breaking down that wall between just letting things flow and, and how you get there and not letting your head get in the way. And some players are really good at it. Yeah. I love, and I love it. I love it. Like, yeah, I love it. I love, that's one of the reasons I love jazz, man. It feels like that in, in a lot of ways, you know, there are figures maybe that we're going to hit and there's a feel and there's the thing, but like, there's a couple songs that I play with these guys where it's like, there's a drum break in this song every time. And I'd go home and I'd be like, mm, maybe I can work something out. Yeah. And I work, and I, I know really, really great players. And they said, yeah, I just I worked on a solo and I figured out what I was going to do, and that's what I do every night. I'm like, oh, thanks. Like that was the go ahead for me to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I get on the gig, and the vibe isn't the same. And I try and do it, and it's like it's just not right. It's like I need to be able to improvise, depending on the energy in the room. Yeah, the people. It's not an arena gig. It's not that important. Give myself some leeway. The guys in the band trust me. Maybe here's an opportunity to do what you're talking about. Yeah. Let things flow. Yeah, do your thing. Let it let it happen. Maybe have a foundation. Like, I'm going to start with this every time. I'm going to leave a little wiggle room on the end. Well, I do think great solos in, on any instrument do have some kind of, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. They have some kind of storyline to them, right? Like, mm-hmm. maybe some kind of introduction and... Rising action, to borrow fourth grade literature terms, you know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to cover is your other persona, mixing, yeah, engineering. So you go to your website, and I love it. It's like a uh, choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Click here if you want to go to the drums. Yeah, exactly. Or dare you click yeah. on the mixing side. It's a hard, that's a really I mean, it's a hard thing for me to figure out how to navigate, I think because I am I feel in many ways equal parts both. Um uh, you know, like I and I want to for lack of a better term like market that or whatever like I hate that. No, it's a skill thing, set, but you and, know, and people have to know that you do it, and exactly. it's it's they need it. Yeah, yeah, you know, but so, but I don't want to go under like a different moniker or like different name for mixing. Like I just, you know, uh, so anyway, yeah, like the you know, it's a hard line for me to write sometimes. But they are two different halves of me, you know, as you said, and um, yeah, yeah. It goes into, and I'm not letting you finish that thought, but an answer or a question I had that I wanted to get to that might be related to this is that you're the MD for Marin. Yeah. And I kind of share that role with Matt, the guy who got me the gig. Matt's not on the road with us, though. So Matt Payne? Yep, exactly. See, I know I worked with Matt briefly oh, nice. years ago. I okay. think I bought my first cell phone from him. Oh, I really? I seen him in a long time. He's around, man. He's, yeah, he's, I need to, I he's need to killing, catch up actually. with him. That's awesome. So in listening to your other interview 
and you cover a lot of stuff that you do with with Marin and tracks and stuff like that. So I encourage people again uh-huh. go to 180 Drums. You can you can dig into that that side of things. But in listening to that, it made me think. I think drummers in this day and age with pop music got to be some of the best MDs because you have so much to control and a lot a lot of us are controlling our own tracks stopping and starting mm-hmm. I do that with Julie I do that with this other guy Adam Warner it's my role is to start the band stop the band as a drummer and start the tracks and play the tracks I mean you're you're doing so much back there it's like yeah. Obviously, you're getting you're getting into other ideas, like uh, other things, like uh, let's talk about guitar tone. You have to have a, yeah. a a broader ear for those kinds of things. But it just occurred to me that I think drummers are, you know, with all the jokes about them not being musicians, mm. it it just seems like such a natural fit. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be. I I don't know how I don't know how it all a lot of times fell on the drummer. Yeah, but I I do think that I think we do have an interesting. Okay, I don't know if this is true, but this could be, maybe why, uh, or could be an answer to the to the thought. Like, I wonder if because we're the only we're the only instrument in the band that's coming at the music from quite that angle. It's far more rhythmic, right? And like we're paying attention to different things than a guitar player or a keyboard player is paying attention to. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so I wonder if that's a thing like that that it's it's maybe a it's maybe a slightly different perspective on things that than than other instrumentalists may have. Uh you know, I I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I I think that I think that in my case, you know, I you know, it's something that I feel comfortable in in the sense that I, it's I actually I liken it very much to producing like yeah I don't do as much these days but uh, just because it takes so much time and that's a whole other conversation but anyway um uh I think it's a lot like producing a record it's, it's like you there are lots of producers out there that are incredible instrumentalists some that play nothing some that right. you know what I mean yeah, yeah like yeah. everybody kind of has their skill set some producers are way more engineering some know nothing about engineering and some are you know oh, what yeah. I mean right they're all right. different and but I kind of incredible credits and absolutely yeah, and yeah right they're all doing amazing stuff yeah I kind of feel the same way about like doing the MD thing mm-hmm. there are aspects of that role that I that that people in anybody else in the band is far better at than I am you know what I mean like playing guitar playing, playing yeah bass. man and they can sit there and you know they'll uh how do i put it voicings perfect example of this you know i'm a i'm a shoddy piano player like i I understand you know i understand those things from a musical perspective but my ear isn't as developed as theirs is in terms of in terms of voicings for example and so that's not something that i'm able to speak all too well into but honestly if you have great people in the room, they kind of end up sorting that stuff out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so, but there's other things that I might be paying a lot of attention to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be it certain sounds or the tracks or maybe even just like, I think coming from like the production sort of background, like, uh, not just song arrangements, but like, uh, um, you know, arrangements instrumentally, like who's playing what parts, what's important, what's going to stay in a track, what's going to go away, yeah. what's going to translate through a PA. I, like I've yes. done a lot of live sound, so I kind of understand, I feel like, what 
hopefully what's what's going to translate with all that you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i think there's a lot more to the job than just voicings i guess is yes, what i'm yeah. saying okay yeah and like flow of the show energy yeah exactly yeah. all that mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. you know yeah. and not to discredit either uh when you when you're when you're when you're like playing for an artist you want them to feel like you've got their back you know what i mean like so you want to, in a way to be part of their security blanket you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. whatever's gonna happen you know we're sitting here we're, we're about to do some award show or whatever and the wall's down like if at any point she's like she's very confident comfortable but you know what i mean like i don't know i want her to feel like we got this and here's my guy maybe like, she is because you guys are there yeah maybe i don't know i think so i yeah. hope so yeah yeah for sure is there anything that you're doing to kind of keep your mixing chops going or do you have a lot of work in front of you yeah i mean it, it's really cool how it tends to and i don't it's probably equal parts the amount of work that's coming in and like i don't know just me being able to schedule it but like it's it's tended to work out to where um it kind of happens when i'm not on the road in a good way you know right uh so yeah actually it stays it's getting busier and busier the mixing thing and it seems to stay reasonably busy uh and so i uh yeah i mean that definitely kind of keeps the mixing shops up having said that uh something that i've been doing more of lately and that I really love mixing wise is mixing pop music, like really heavily programmed music. There's an example on your website and it's Yeah, there's one or two and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's and it's like some of that stuff tends to be coming through the door more for whatever reason. And it's like such a fun change of gears for me. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Um so I guess I, I really just point to that to say like, it's like I writing love fiction. Yeah, man. I love when that work comes in because it's like, that feels like it is keeping the chops up. That, that feels stretching to me, uh-huh. uh, for whatever reason. Not that the other stuff isn't, you know, it has its own thing, but I don't know if that feels interesting and stretching. So I love when that stuff comes in. It feels like I'm like working out a little yeah, bit or yeah, something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I, especially when I hear stuff like that, I hear the music, it's like the creative, the creativity that went behind. Yeah. The production and, and everything like that it makes really me appreciate cool. it opens my world up for sure a lot yeah. more two quick things what's going on what's the rest of your year look like we are um so uh currently with marin we're we've taken several months more or less off I say we, she has, incidentally, us. Uh, You're like, Marin, I'm still out there. I'm still playing the gigs. I know you're going to take some time off, but we're doing the the Marin Morris tribute. Yeah, exactly. Tribute tribute band. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, if anybody wants to see uh, us play at a cheaper uh, ticket rate, just come to the bar after the gig. We'll be playing the same songs. Annie will be singing. No singer. Yeah, exactly. Background vocals only. Uh, Marin Morris karaoke band. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, no, uh, yeah, so she's taking some time off. She got married very recently. Um, it's kind of, a, you know, the end of a record cycle. She's working on a new record. We spent about a year and a half going kind of heavy. And so I think since we're about to start another record cycle, mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of a nice time to, like, everybody just take a deep breath and, like, you know, refresh. Yeah. And so all that to say, we're just now starting to kind of, like, 
ramp back up. And so we've done a few of these shows that are, uh, I call it, called it the Renegade Revival Run. It was all, it was really fun. It was like the opposite of the big like pop show thing. It was uh, no tracks, wedges, no ears. Wow. Uh, and we played, uh, we've done three. We're about to do one more. There's just four shows in like honky tonks. So oh, like, fun. Um, we did Pappy and Harriet's Green Hall and outside of Dallas. And uh, See, I'm using ears and honky-tonks. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I would be too. I will say it's been a lot of fun, but... I man, my ears been ringing like it's oh it's, I it's I not a sustainable thing. So addicted, especially to with it. the mixing thing. Like you can't destroy your hearing like that. No, no, no. Um, but anyway, we did that, and then uh, uh, oh my gosh, you know. So she's got the middle that's out right now. It's been four weeks at number one on top oh, forty. That's amazing. Uh, huge song. So there's some promo coming up for that that I uh, hope to be involved in. I don't I don't know how that's gonna go, but. Uh, and then uh, in July or June, July, we start this uh, tour with Niall Horn from One Direction. So that's like more of a pop tour. Okay. Uh, and that will go until uh, mid-September. And she'll be in, uh, that's like North America, South America, Australia, New Zealand. Holy cow. Uh, which is cool. Some flight for, points. Yeah. And, yeah. and the majority of it's North America. But there's, uh, you know, I, in country, we don't get to do... You know, we don't get to do South America, for example. No, that's, you know what that's I mean? a new one. Or Mexico, like that's right. That's really cool. So we're but Australia is starting to become a thing. Yeah, people are starting to go to Australia, like yeah, uh, which is cool. I, I've I've been to Australia very briefly, but I've never played there. Okay. Um, uh, so there's, there's a pop exciting. country scene there. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I know Keith Urban. He goes down there. They just did a big festival down there a few weeks ago. I think okay. like uh, that a bunch of guys were at. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Um, I don't know what it yeah, was. Yeah, it's on the Facebook thing with a bunch of... I think it was a festival. Yeah, a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Um, their pictures and yeah, exactly. eating kangaroo and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you said that early on you, you kind of took a calculated risk yeah. in doing this. And I, I thought of something this morning, a, a question... I'm glad I kind of pushed this back because it gave me a chance to think of some more things. Um, but on the surface, it, do, it doesn't seem like your career has been it has been like calculated. It's, it has happened. Um, but was there any intentionality about your actions throughout your career? Yeah, uh, I think it's. Can a, you point to maybe a couple that. Yeah, helped set you up for longevity and totally. and, and and hopefully a uh, a prosperous future that goes yeah. on for decades. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I hope uh, the the um, I think in my case it's been very uh, probably equal parts equal parts calculated and on purpose and equal parts mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of meaning. Uh, like I kind of meaning, I think that, I think that there's such thing as being, uh, how do I put this? Maybe, maybe some of it is, but it's being in the right place at the right time, I think probably is a thing, but like, you still got to go to the right place. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do something, yep. you know, like, and so, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's the secret, at least in my case, that's been the thing that's been the primary, uh, uh, thing that I could point at. So for example, um, you know, 
David Crowder. I was playing with a band, David. I meet David. We're friends. I wasn't trying to go play drums with David necessarily, but he was he was writing some country songs, needed to demo country songs. And so he knew that I produced uh, he knew that I produced records and he was like, Hey, let's do I was like, Man, let's do this I'll do these country demos for yeah. you. You know what I mean? By doing those country demos, by stepping out, saying I was gonna do these for him. Yeah. He, that was the first time he ever saw me play drums was in the session doing that. He happened to be looking for a drummer shortly after and was like, Hey, Christian should come play drums. Yeah. Great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but you put yourself, the calculated part, you right. put yourself out there. Yeah. The uncalculated part was, did you know he was looking for a drummer? Uh, at the time he wasn't, I don't think, uh, but that could be maybe fall under that category. Yeah. Or whatever, man. I mean, maybe yeah. it's not going to be, and then, you know, I'm, I'm saying it's calculated. It wasn't like every, you know, it's, it's relationships. You know what I mean? It's not all contrived. It's, yeah. but like, but ultimately, it's like I put myself out there. I did this thing for him. And maybe it's not David looking for a drummer, but maybe he likes the way I play and somebody else is that he knows. Oh, yeah. You that's know what I mean? It, that's how it works. It's how the whole thing... Exactly. It's how the whole thing turns. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like everything I've ever done, cool and not cool, <laughs> was for that reason. It's just like you, you just put yourself out there, be who you are. You know, maybe somebody likes it and they they they, they call you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And I just try to like be as self aware as I can be, and like uh, I try to make as uh, I I try to plan for the future as best I can. You know, it's like that's an interesting place that I'm in right now. It's a whole nother rabbit hole. But like, I'm I'm 33 now, so not not certainly not old by any stretch. But I'm not 24 anymore. Mm-hmm. And my point being that, uh, you know, is this is kind it's kind of like approaching the age at which you know I'm I'm not married, but like family starts to get involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, whatever, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. whatever situations arise in life changes that you're not able to take the same opportunities that you could take when you were in your early twenties, oh, you know what totally. I mean? And so trying my best to like, look at whatever that is going to look like for me 10 years down the road and how can I shape my yep. career to be okay yep. 10 years down the road. You know what I mean? Yes. Cause I may not be the person I'm playing for in 10 years may not have the number one single at top 40 for four weeks. But at the time when you switched from Crowder to yeah. Marin, you took and you knew you were going into less pay right out of the... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And I almost interjected and say, right, I don't think you were married. You didn't have... you know all that. Exactly. So there was that flexibility. And 100%. I tell people all the time, it's like at a certain point in your life, you can take those risks. And I'm at a place in my life where I can't... I, it's much harder I, to take it, those. It is harder to take those risks. Um, but planning and having a certain amount of calculation with flexibility right. is allowing you to... Dude, I mean, something that... You know, I know we're kind of running up here, but like uh, some of the best advice that I, I, I hope he's okay with me, I'm sure he is, talking about this, was Seth. I was talking to Seth yeah, the other day right. about this thing. Yeah. And he was like... And he was saying that... Uh, I think Seth, he just turned 40. So he's got a few years on me, but, um, but you know, and it's actually this perfect little gap. Cause I feel like I can like, I'm like, he's like equal parts, like my, like 
my buddy and my peer and also like somebody that I am like, Hey man, tell, what's it look like down there? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Down mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. And like, uh, and, uh, and so anyway, but he was like, he's got like 23 kids too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was saying, you know, they just try to live really modestly. And he's uh, like, so he's like, basically, and I agree with him. I'm not sure that human beings are really meant to properly retire that we're all just going to stop doing anything and, and like live on a sailboat somewhere. Uh, but so I think I'll always play music, but when I'm 50 or whatever, not that, and that's not old. This is why I'm using that, that age as an example. Yeah. Thanks. When I'm 50, yeah. <laughs> when I'm 50, I would still like to be able to pay my bills and that may or may not be all from playing drums or, or music anymore. So he made the point like, man, if you're making any money right now, Try and try and tack it away and invest it properly so that when maybe your income level needs to stay the same as it is now, but you're not bringing in as much, you have some cash in the bank that you can begin yeah. to yeah. draw from. And I was like, wow, that is really smart. Um, I thought, I mean, maybe that's obvious, but. Well, it kind of is, but it's really hard. It can be really hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it's a, we were rocking one month and then my son. Got there's a concussion. all the things you need. Yeah. Oh man. Well, and yeah. had to have a CAT scan. Yeah. And there was like, okay, well, there's four thousand dollars. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, that stuff happens. But you know, are you sure, Doc? Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure he needs this? <laughs> I really need that. Seems symbol. all right to me. <laughs> Look at him. Yeah. How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> yeah, good enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, that's true. It is. It is. It is. Uh, it is definitely hard, but but it, it's a good skill to try and strive for anyway you know what i mean i think i feel like in combination with the skill sets that you've cultivated with engineering mixing you know all the different aspects of drumming that you're able to bring to marin's gig and things like that yeah that to me and getting to know you seems like it seems calculated but not it's like these are things that I really I'm gravitating towards. These are things that I enjoy. These are things that I didn't know that I was interested in, but totally. now, but Picked now up. I am. And wow, what a great thing! And I'm still in a creative field. Yeah, I'm still surrounded by yeah. It's people diversifying. I love, great That's gear. A, it's a perfect example. Yeah, it's like I would consider myself reasonably diverse in terms of skill sets, musical skill sets, uh, but. But it wasn't something that, like, I had to, like, drag myself into. It's just, I just love doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you and find out that you love doing it. You know what I mean? You you yeah. started doing a podcast one day, and then you blink your eye and turn around, and you've yeah. done a zillion of these things. And yeah. it's like, did you know that? I was... hate it now. But <laughs> yeah. but we're still going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, exactly. And um, after doing a couple, some somebody said, dude, you're, you're, you you you're good at this absolutely and it was i was like how do i make this better and it's and it's been uh, i mean it's not a career it's not a way to make a living but it's an extension i've said this in the recent months it's an extension of of my career but one thing that we all hopefully share in common is the desire to learn and to grow and um this is a way that I enjoy learning and growing and it's a way for me to connect to the community and be social because I'm like you, I'm a homebody and I have two kids. So I don't go out. Mm-hmm. This is me going out. Yeah. 
And yeah. honestly, this is better than going out, man. Like that, I think, in terms of meeting people and connecting. And yeah. and and I think when you touched on it, but like I, I just I'll totally second the idea of like I think that these that podcasts, you know, like this one, like when it, I, there's several that I really like, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that man, I think they're like invaluable. Big I wish I, I wish I had these. Oh my! Wish I had them when I was. God, it's. Growing I up. mean, seriously, it's like I. I I'm here talking to you and, you know, I've done 180 like a, a couple times and like, so I guess in a way, like I'm, I'm a, a, a piece of creating them, but I listen to them too, you know? You are a big part of creating them. Man. So I'm plagiarizing your story. No, it's great. Yeah. You're creating content for me, man. Oh, great. I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. And again, I'm going to try and get a few pictures of this yeah. so we can show people, but man, I appreciate it. Of and course. thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So there's my conversation with Christian Pascal. Uh, again, thanks to Richard Scott for making the connection. Uh, as as you've heard us mention a couple times uh, with that interview, uh, that Christian has been on 180 Drums. Go check those guys out. They do a great job, and they have a, a multifaceted website for you to check out. So that's, that's really cool. But anyways, uh, Christian has a lot of really cool things going on, and I think just in the way modern music is being produced and drummers are making a living. He is a great example of someone that is juggling uh, some really essential things from uh, some some heavy touring uh, and uh, recording and kind of understanding all the different aspects of those two things that I think are essential in uh, staying busy in these modern times. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's episode. Uh, many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance in helping keeping this podcast rocking online and otherwise. And thank you all so much for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye. <laughs>